the last thing anyone wants to do is write. It's so it's so natural in a way, you know, to sit down and write. Like it's just such an alien. You know, I think it's just such a it's it's like trying to sit at the bottom of a swimming pool for hours on end, you know. Welcome to Writers Who Won't Write, a show about writers and the stories they struggle to tell. Would you consider a short story writer a writer? Uh, it's kind of right there in the name. <laughs> well, I only bring it up because one you, of the words in the things that you just said. I only bring it up because you seem to have like some kind of animosity when it comes to short stories. I don't have animosity. I just have trouble uh, reading short stories, mostly because at the end of them, I'm usually unsatisfied. I want more, and I know that that is partially my own failing because I, you know, after having read a lot about it, of course, talked to Colin. I am aware of how much work goes into writing a short story. A lot of people say it's more difficult than writing a novel because you have to pack so much into so little space. But I just, you know, until I read Young Skins, I had a lot of trouble reading more than one short story or collections of short stories or short stories in general. I love short stories. I would I would argue that almost all of my favorite writers are short story writers. Or at I least don't know if you have to argue uh, something that is essentially your opinion. <laughs> Okay, that's fair. Many, I would argue that many, most of your, your favorite authors are not short story writers, Jeff. Many of my favorite writers, uh, though, have written other things, also have written short stories. Uh, Juno Diaz, Roxanne Gay, Alice Moore, George Saunders, John Updike, uh, Raymond Carver, um, Flannery. Lots of them also have hair and are people, so they have that in common as well. Fact. That is a fact. Well, you mentioned our guest already, but we have Colin Barrett on the show this week. Uh, Colin is an Irish author who wrote a book called Young Skins, uh, which came out to critical acclaim. It had all the best reviews. It won a bunch of awards. uh, And it is a book of short stories, which I didn't realize until the interview. Kyle doesn't read short stories. So this was a big one for him. It's true. Um, Let's get right to it. How's it going, Colin? Uh, it's going great. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show. Yeah. So I, I've been getting, I've been trying to convince Kyle to read your book for a year, um, and and he finally did. Uh, Slander so- right off the bat. We're just going to start <laughs> with the bad stuff. I picked up your book uh, at the 535 um, reading from the National Book oh, Awards, yeah. which was 2015, right? Um, yes, 2015, late 2015, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't really, and we talked a little bit with Luis about this, but I, I actually didn't, uh, I don't know a lot of Irish authors. So I, I jumped at the opportunity to pick up your book, especially after you read uh, your excerpt, um, which was, you know, I think the first page of the book or something. And it was excellent. You had, a, you had a funny story that you told us that night about how you came to be an author. So I'm hoping that you could share it with us here. Oh my God, I can't remember anything about that night. It, it was um. something to do with that, with, with, with Vodafone. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, my my journey to authorhood, I guess. Um, um, well, well, thank you for the very nice nice things you said there, Jeff. And I'm I'm glad the excerpt I read uh, didn't put you off. Um, no, it was great. And if you if you got Kyle to read it, I might try and get you to get some of my close family members to read it. <laughs> I've, I've a suspicion my mother hasn't read it yet. 
she sent me a very <laughs> she sent me like a, a, th- a very sweetly sent me like a, a well done card about six months after it was published and, uh, <laughs> but you know I, I don't think she read it I think she just said you know it's nice to have a book um, sorry but to, to answer your question Jeff um, yeah. I mean I'd always wanted to be a, a writer uh, from when I was a teenager when I was very young and uh, I got it in my head and um um, but and I went to college and did like English in University College Dublin and um, just like a yeah a English uh, degree English literature and then and then I you know then I needed to get a job to have money to live and uh, I ended up working in uh, Vodafone the mobile phone company uh, for 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 nearly five years after I after I graduated so from when I was about I don't know, 22 or something, or 23, till I was in my late 20s. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, yeah, there's probably a lot of stories I've told um, about it. It was during the Celtic Tiger era, which is the, the name we had for the economic boom, you know. Well, the the, the various bubbles <laughs> that burst <laughs> around the world, housing bubbles and everything else was... Um, so the Celtic Tiger was, was, the, uh, was, was, the, was the name for that, and that was when Ireland sort of uh, got money for the first time in its life so it, it kind of I was sort of I'd come out of college in the heyday of that so it wasn't that hard to get a job like it took me maybe four or five weeks with, with like a mediocre art degree um, which generally renders you fairly unemployable but um, I guess it was testament to the um, to the rush that the economy was on that uh, that uh, it would take anyone in um, and uh, I mean it was a call centre job um, but um so I was on the phones for the first couple of years. It's like anywhere else. The lower down you are, the more you know, the more actual work you have to do. And then, I, and then I got like a promotion. So I was, I was in quality control. It's like when you, you know, if you ring your bank or something, and they go, the calls are recorded for quality and training purposes, and you know, you get that message at the start. So I was the guy listening in. So you kind of, you surveilled your other, you know, your fellow employees. Um, you know, wow. uh, that's what you did, you know, for quality. I mean, they use euphemisms, you know, um, you know, quality and control. You know, you you know, um, you were you were you were surveilling people. Was, you know, yeah. it's like working for the NSA or something. And you were listening in, um, and you heard some freaky stuff. But um, <laughs> there was one guy who used to use his company, use his use his line his his line out, like not his own personal phone, but he would ring out to like his girlfriend and. They would have like, well, he would tell her what he was going to do to her that night when he oh, got home. I mean, loving, a loving relationship, but um, <laughs> the perils of doing it on like your your company, you know, your your company headset, as it were. Um, How but, he's it's sitting in a bullpen of people, right? No less. Yeah, but you know, you kind of and it, like it was all the desks were like open plan, so you didn't really. It wasn't like you had a your own cubicle per se. You didn't have even three walls around you. you you were always pretty close to people but it was like everyone got used to that because I remember when I was on the floor and you kind of everyone got used to it and everyone was able to sort of generate their own sort of like personal little little introspective space you know you kind of you kind of just hunch down over your desk and kind of talk out of the side of your mouth at a, at a certain register and that was that was what passed for privacy and um so it was uh people got used to doing that um but anyway, sorry, Jeff, I'm going, I'm going around the houses here. But uh, it was when I was doing that job that basically the Celta Tiger, they, 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 they kept uh, expanding the department and taking on people. And there just wasn't enough work to go around. Like there wasn't enough work. Like you, you, you like in your eight hour day, there only really was about like if, if you went at it for like three hours, you got, you got all your day's tasks done, you know. So there was a lot of making work. And I, I, I ended up I, I got a lot of writing done then basically. 
you know, I was in my mid twenties, and um, I, I got a I got a lot of writing done at my desk there, and um, I managed to put together the portfolio. I eventually submitted back to University College Dublin to go do a master's in creative writing. Um, I, I wrote the bulk of it there at my desk over over like six months. So that was it, you know the job was that was that was when I was working hardest at it. So it's so funny to me to hear that because, uh, and I think that this this comes through in your work more often than not. I feel like you're gonna not take this to heart, but George Saunders has a very similar backstory to you, uh, mm. in the sense that he you know would have all these desk jobs and he would just try to just write as much as he could while he was there. Yeah, you know, his buddies would cover for him. He would like sneak into. Uh, like, you know, he would mute his phone during conference calls and just start writing out stories. And <laughs> and eventually he got to the point where, you know, he was a bona fide writer and the New Yorker would accept his stories. And it sounds a lot like like you, the American version. Tell us then about like what, what the transition was like from Vodafone to being, you know, a uh, real life author who was, you know, paying his bills with the stories that he wrote. Yeah, I mean, that's a very, I think that's, it's kind of a recurrent thing I, I find with a lot of writers who are in and around my experience level, you know, we're in the early part of our careers, uh, if you can call it a career. Um, I've had a book or two or, you know, you've been lucky enough to have a book published and you're working on the next one or you've had a couple. And um, I think something I think a lot of people struggle with is that idea of when, when, can, when can you transition into just like unironically calling yourself uh, a, a writer you know like you just that's what your job is um and it i i think it has something to me it's it's something more, I, I mean i thought it would happen like i thought i would feel validated like the first time i got a story published in a in a journal or you know when the when the first book came out but i still you know you still have a you still have a lot of anguish around it um about when you're allowed to call yourself that you know i think especially it's an irish thing where um we're very loath to sort of uh, beat our own drums or, you know, kind of, not that it's beating your own drum, it's just accurately saying what it is you're spending most of your time doing, but we still, we still find it difficult at times. Um, we're very oblique. We don't, we don't like to give direct answers about anything. Um, so my, my kind of, my journey, um, I mean, I, I, I knew I needed structure, like so. I, I did apply for a, a, an MA, a master's in creative writing in, in UCD, because you know I, it was I, I could tell people basically I was going back to um, college and you know I was going to get a, this this master's, a, a graduate degree and a postgraduate degree, and um, that was basically cover, like that was a sort of veil of legitimacy to go back and you know and just sort of plunge into it and see if I could do it. Because um, those years, I mean, those years building up to that, you know, I was working full time. Um, but it was it was just really hard to write. It was really hard. It took me. I'd never. I don't think I finished anything before I got accepted onto that course. Like I never finished a story, even. You know, I'd kind of start them and they just peter out. Um, and then I'd start another one several months later. And that that was happening for years. You know. Um, it's funny what necessity makes you do. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I, I cobbled together enough stuff in the portfolio, but once, I, I mean, the course was good, you know, um, people have very different opinions about, you know, workshops and, you know, writing courses and stuff, um, but it was good to get that year, it was good to be able to tell people that that's what I was doing, you know, I didn't just like quit my job and, and stay in my room and write, 
you know, because people would have thought you'd gone mad, basically, you know, <laughs> or he's, he's just, this is a prelude to something else, you know, it's just, you know, um, something darker. So it was like, you know, it had a, it had a, a ve- like, you know, uh, it had a veil of legitimacy. Um, and I went and did that. But I mean, and, and I, you know, I got plenty out of the course. I, I, I completed a few stories. I wrote the first two things I got like published. I wrote there over that year and um, which kind of got me going. Um, but I mean, you know, th- that was, I finished that in 2009. The book Young Skins didn't come out till t- late 2013. So there was another four years of me mainly being, <laughs> mainly being on the dole, uh, 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 you know, for several years and, uh, you know, writing and, you know, um, I mean, again, now this was this was the Celtic Tiger had been taken out back and shot at this point. So, um, you know, the economy was in the toilet. Like it was really hard to try. I was, you know, I was trying to find, I was trying to find work. I was trying to find, find gigs. And, you know, I get, oh, oh, in, in those intervening years, I did do some more call center work and stuff um, between, between, you know, well, between otherwise being unemployed and just working on the book. Um, so it was, it was kind of a, it was a very slow process, but, you know, we got there in the end. Do you remember what it uh, what the first story that you sold was? Yeah, it was it was um it was to the so my first publisher in Ireland is an independent uh, Irish publisher called the Stinging Fly Press, and um, it's basically a, it's essentially a one man operation. He's he's got a couple of people helping him out, but uh, Declan Mead is the he runs the press. He's run a magazine called the Stinging Fly Magazine uh, for about twenty years now, nearly I think. Um, Hope I'm not doing him a disservice by saying that, but a long, long time. And uh, he's published lots. He's brought through lots of Irish writers um, over over the over the over that time. Um, so he was running the magazine Sting and Fly magazine, and um, he took a story. Um, it was called "Let's Go Kill Ourselves," and it pretty was light a, a pretty light title, yeah. And it was about like some schoolboys. Um, who I, I don't know they didn't they like they attack at one point there's a there's a like gratuitous act of cruelty towards a dog um there is a car crash in it there's like it's like a compendium of all the things like that are the most trite and obvious go-to gestures uh for writers uh but you know and i mean it is well it essentially sucked but it, it was publishable um <laughs> And uh, I mean, it was it was a massive deal for me to finish it at the time. When I finished it, you know, I kind of thought there's there's something. I mean, I I, I hadn't sent anything out at that point. I think to anybody um, anywhere. But uh, you know, I there, there was some good writing in it. So I kind of you know it was as good as I could do at the time. And I sent it to him, and uh, you know, f- a few months later, he got back to me. So that was my that was my first publication, and I mean, I was I was thrilled. I, I don't think I've ever been the, the pure elation I got like when I received the, the acceptance email. You know, was um, was was nothing nothing else like it since. Like even having a full book published, like that was just that was just the first time. It was amazing. You know, it was amazing. Yeah, I really needed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what does that feel like? Because you, I mean, you had that. Uh, like you have you've had a lot of success i mean you've won a lot of awards you have uh been published in quite a few places i mean you have a book that's you know been heralded by a lot of people um you know the 535 alone is something that like most people never get uh so what does it feel like to be that kind of writer now um well it's of course it feels great you know um the book just took on a life it kept going you know i most books get published and they get a few weeks of attention 
you know and it's it's just a machine you know so many books come out all the time um uh but it it just it got some it got good reviews in Ireland and it got picked up in the UK and in the US and yeah and uh, you know won a few few awards which was unbelievable um it was very I mean, it was very, it was it was very strange it was very strange um and ama- and amazing of course yeah what we've heard a lot from most of the people that we've talked to is that everyone finds it difficult to actually uh, call themselves a writer to take on yeah. that yeah. uh, nomenclature, and it, I've always wondered where that where that aura comes from, <laughs> why people are so hesitant to actually say it out loud to their friends and family, yeah. uh, and be judged. I guess. Um, so, do you have any insight on that from the other side now, sitting where you do? Uh, yeah. At, yeah, at the beginning or, you know, sort of on the... You're past the stage where people might actually question whether or not you mean it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it takes a while. It certainly takes a while. Um, I think, I mean, I think it has... It's like, I, I kind of was... At each stage, as I said, I thought it would go away. I thought I, you know, this... this That I would feel legitimate. Um, you know, I thought when... Well, when I get the first story and then when the first you know when young skins got published i'm like well i'm incontestably now a writer there's a physical book in bookshops (laughs) you know it's it's not just a delusion i'm having like there is physical evidence for other people to look up um but i don't know i think i think and i think it's not just me i think some other like you just you just wonder if you can do it again you know You, you 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 wonder if you just you know, the first time you do a story that you th- that is like markedly better than the other crap you'd been writing before, then the fear is, what if I can't do that again? You know, what if I I done it for that story, but can I do it again? And then you you know you do it for seven or eight stories or whatever, and then the fear is, well, can I you know can I do a novel now or can I do another book of short stories? So I mean, I think it's it's just this really for me. I think that's what it is. It was just this real you know just uh, fear about can you can you do it again you know um will will it work a second time or will you you know will 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 you be revealed as as like you know a fraud in some way <laughs> that you you, so you, you find out you you fluked it with that with that first first story or first book or whatever um and that's i mean there's no way there's no way to get away from that i mean you have to, well you can either not write or not publish anything again or else you just have to you know do it do it. <laughs> well, I wonder how it affects you, particularly because uh, it seems like as a writer of short stories, you'd have to deal with it every time you take on a new thread. Um, and one yeah, yeah. one thing that I loved about Young Skins was that all of the short stories take place in the same town. So even though it doesn't uh, fit the qualifications of a novel per se, I guess it reads more. I mean, it reads more like a novel than I had expected it to. Uh, as someone who doesn't consume a lot of short stories, so. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean that that sort of. Um, I, I mean, I remember when I was when I was writing it, um, Young Skins. Like, I, I I knew I wanted to do a collection of short stories. Um, you know, I, I just loved loved the form. Um, so I, you know, I was really intent on that being my first. You know, well being my first book if if someone would publish it um and i and i kind of established a relationship as i said with the um declamy the, the the guy the guy who runs this thing in fly press um and he put out he did, he's been doing the journal for 20 years and he'd also started putting out books um 
and each one of them has basically even though they're, they're short story collections but each one of them has pretty much been a hit certainly in Ireland and mostly in the UK and the US as well he first published like a, you may not have, may or may not have heard of Kevin Barry Declan did his, his short story collection there are little kingdoms it was called Fab- fabulous book short stories um, really really funny really great um, he, he's in, he did a novel out a couple of years ago called City of Bohane and he won recently about John Lennon called Beetlebone um, a, a f- fantastic writer if you if you do want to check out Irish writing do, do look him up um, okay uh, so De- Declan brought him out his first book and um, uh, just a couple of uh, Mary Costello, Claire Louise Bennett, Daniel McLaughlin, just all, all you know new emerging writers. So you know they're they're not household names by by any stretch yet. Um, but he he put out their first books and you know they they pretty much raved about uh, in the UK and the US press as well as at home. Um, so I had this relationship with Declan anyway. He he kind of said he said to me just just we met up for coffee one time in Dublin and he said you know he'd read a couple of the stories and you know he said I like the work. Um, are you interested in doing a collection? And of course I said yeah. And he said well sure you know just keep sending me stuff and I'll 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 put it out when when it's ready you know when it's good enough um, down the line and. Again, I thought this was one of those threshold moments. I thought, well, you know, my 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 initial goal was to get published, get a get a story in his magazine, and then the next one was to try and you know see if he would <laughs> put out a book by me, um, and he offered to. So like I you know I was like, okay, um, this is great, like this is fantastic, <laughs> uh, and and I you know I'd send him two stories. Um, and he published them both. So I mean, I went off then with that sort of newfound sense of elation at that. Um, and I spent a few months working on two more stories. And I don't know what the hell was in my mind at the time. Like it's you know you can't you, you don't always know why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it. Um, I didn't I didn't lose the run of myself, and I didn't get I didn't think I was getting sloppy. But I sent him. I mean, I just sent him two pieces of shit. Um, like after four months, I wrote these two things. I got these two idea. I, I got these two sort of ideas in my head, and they were kind of, you know, I kind of they 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 made sense in my head, but they weren't, um, you know, they didn't come out of some deeper place. So it was me trying to. I was I was try, I was trying to manufacture two two sto- these these two stories, um, and so they were really. I mean, I I, I destroyed them years ago, um, so I can't even really remember what they were about. Like, but they were just. They weren't. They weren't good. But I thought they were good at the time, having written, have written, written, you know, two stories that he published. And I, I sent them on to him. These two new ones, and it kind of declined. I hadn't. I hadn't. He, he just didn't get back to me for a few weeks. I mean, he's very busy with the magazine all the time. He hadn't got back to me for a few weeks. It was kind of. It was in and around, maybe Christmas 2010. I remember Christmas coming and going. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll see if he gets in touch with me before Christmas. And if not, I'll get in touch with him in January, which is like the worst month to get rejected in. Mm-hmm. And. Um, <laughs> I, I sent him like a tentative email and he kind of said I'll, I'll get back to you in a day or two um, and then he got back uh, in like early January and he was like yeah these two don't grab me um, and like he's very he's very he's very straightforward he's very to the point and he was just like he was like he didn't say they were unsalvageably bad but he was just like just leave them <laughs> And send me on something else when you got it. You know, there wasn't there wasn't anything worth salvaging in them, so I kind of just I just you know, I I, I just deleted them. And uh, have you ever done any work? Have you ever done any work as an editor? Um, 
like I've I've done a little bit of like, um, like I've I've like taught the odd undergrad class in creative writing and stuff, and I've like you know edited people's work and um, but you know not a huge amount. Do you? I always am curious. You know, I always think it's like a small mercy when an editor is is ruthless and will just tell yeah. you like outright if something is not good, yeah. um, because otherwise you're just going to sit there and waste all your time trying to make it work when you know you kind of know from the get-go that it won't. Um, yeah. Do you feel the same way? Because I know, because I've only ever really like published nonfiction and mm. and even that is very limited. Um, so I, I wonder if it's the same idea with fiction. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, an editor needs, I mean, an editor needs to be ruthless. Um, how they articulate that ruthlessness probably does depend on the temperament of the writers. Some will respond to, you know, <laughs> um, really straightforward. Some need that, you know, um, they need to have any sort of lingering illusions that that can be saved. They need it squashed and, and other writers might need a more gentle, a more, you know, a more indirect approach. I don't know. Um, I, I, I remember at one point I was working on one thing with, with a, with a, a writer, a, a creative project, we'll call it. Um, and he would send me, I, I, I ended up in a position where I was, I was reading stuff for him and he would send me on, um, this text he was working on and he would, he, yeah, he would send me on bits and I would, I would then send him feedback. Um, and I, you know, it, the feedback will be something like, um, you know, the main character here isn't quite strong enough. Um, you know, there's a lack of focus with them and, you know, the opening sections may be a bit, um, uh, you know, too long or whatever, or there's a, there's a, there's an episode in there that's repetitive. It, you know, I'd, I'd be, I'd be, you know, just giving them kind of, pretty brief feedback but pretty you know I, I thought anyway pretty targeted and concise but he would he was one of the he'd come back to me with like I, I would send him like two lines of a critique um and and i you know you'd always soften it like you go oh the, oh this re overall this is this is going well but you know and then you give the actual the actual negative feedback mm -hmm. um, and he would just latch on to my like cursory this is going well and he'd go <laughs> glad to, glad to hear you love it and then and then he would send this really long like explanation as to why he was not going to take any of the editorial advice I was giving <laughs> on the pieces that I thought weren't working uh, and why he was going to keep them exactly the way they are and you know so he just I, I couldn't like I couldn't I couldn't get through them he just wouldn't you know to him I, I was just giving him I was just telling him it's amazing you know he just wouldn't take it and um, I, I did take what, what Declan said uh, you know to heart and I did I did throw away those pieces and it was the right thing to do because they, they wouldn't they were they just you know they, there was nothing there for, for them to be saved um, and then I kind of to, to get back to what we were talking about earlier I mean that so that was that, that sort of knocked me back because it did kind of you know I, I thought I thought I was I thought I'd finally reached that level of like legitimate writerhood and I could I could you know I could turn out good stuff consistently and, and that sort of so that episode sort of you know um, dispossessed me of that delusion and I kind of had to, I had to start again and the next the fifth thing I, I wrote for him was the Clancy Kid which is the second story in or the first story in the collection and would have been the, the bit I read from 535 and that sort of that was set in this small town Glen Bay and um, it was with that story that I kind of got the idea of setting all the stories there um, in this one town um, and that was a really that just sort of that just that just was like it gave it gave a it gave a, a, a center of gravity to, to the whole thing and it 
from then on it was it was relatively speaking a lot easier to to, to write the stories um and the you know generally speaking they were certain they they would the, the my writing was a bit more assured and controlled so so that story was great but I, I needed to spend like five months on these two pieces of crap and then have Declan mm. cut cut me off at the knees um and then you know I, I felt like crap for a few days but like you know it was the best thing that happened and and, and you know it did it did it opened something it, it 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 took it took the leash off in some way and I sort of the Clancy kid then just had this new energy to it and stuff and it was the the, the two stories I, I'd, I'd written were kind of really polite and dry and they were they just you know they were kind of linguistically very unexciting from what i can remember and the clancy kid then was just this sort of um to me anyway it just had this energy and it just you know it just sort of powered along so so it was good i i feel like there's nothing i like more than hearing an author talk about their prose um because there is something to it like you know if you're a non-reader you don't really get this sense but obviously but um when you're reading something that you know is great like there's a certain aura to it. Uh, and I think that your writing encapsulates that. And I think that so many other short story writers are able to, to capture that as well. Uh, now, is that kind of, I, I mean, I guess I, I don't know why anybody chooses short stories as like their form as opposed to novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I were to ever write a short story, that would be why. Do you agree yeah. with that? Well, I just, I just, the stories, the short stories I loved the, the, the best and the ones I was most influenced by had this energy to them. They really, they felt like bombs going off, you know. Um, they just, they just, they just popped, you know. Um, like a novel does need to be sort of like stately in some way. It needs to sort of progress along and it needs to be, it needs to be structured in such a way that you can kind of leave it down and pick it back up, generally speaking. Um, there's, there's always exceptions to the rule. But you know, stories—they just like they're—they're they're a singular event. Like to you know, when you read one, generally speaking, you're going to read it all in one go. So you you know, you get an effect, like 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 reading a poem or something, you know, or listening to a piece of music. You you get the whole effect in one hit. Um, so that's what I try and get. I mean, I don't want to give you the impression I'm sitting there smelling my own farts, thinking this is go. Oh, this is this is. Oh, the New Yorker's gonna love this. Um, you know, but 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 nonetheless, <laughs> I, I I categorize my writing as as tolerable and and then utter shit. Um, so well, well, for 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 any of our writers listening, you know, Colin deserves to smell his own farts after he writes one of those stories. Uh, but um, well, there's the one of the reasons that I I have generally stayed away from short stories in my reading life is because I've. I I like the the heft of a novel. I like mm. being able to try and parse out the storylines as they're coming together over a longer yeah. period of time. And I've always gotten the impression from reading short stories because they happen so quickly in one go that I'm missing I feel like there's so much more work going into the story than I'm able to parse out of it. I feel like I'm not a good enough reader to be able to understand what the author is trying to communicate because it's so condensed. Hmm. So it's it's intimidating. Well, I I definitely like I would I would that would resonate with me in, in that I'm I mean I've always and I still am a voracious reader of novels anyway. It's not one or the other, but I definitely need like you kind of I think a lot of people you do have this idea that well a short story is just it's it's a story and it's short and it probably has the same properties more or less as a as a novel it's a prose narrative it'll it'll have characters it'll have events but 
the energy is different. Yeah, the, 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 there is, there's, there is, you know, a lot's been condensed down in a short story. Um, I had to learn how to write before I had to learn to write short stories. I had to learn how to read them as well, actually. Um, I, I mean, uh, there was an earlier part in my life in, in my twenties and I, I, I wasn't reading any short stories at the time and, and I'd read once or two and I, I was, it was something similar. Like I, I, I would read one, it would be like 10 pages long. And so you could get it done in like 10, 15 minutes or whatever. But there was all this, you know, you, there was all this stuff you were missing in it. Um, I think you do kind of need to read them a bit more, you know, not slowly, but att as attentively as you would a poem. It, you know, a good short story will re will reward that kind of close reading. Um, you know, everything is implicated. Uh, you know, rather than in in a novel, you can expand on on subjects. You know, on topics and and on characters' perspectives. But everything is has to be so uh, integrated in in, yeah. in in a short story that it really is. There's a lot of pressure in a short story. Um, and and if you the, the quicker you try to read it, the more the you know the more futile the process is because it uh, it, it won't reward it. Um, you know, it's like if you try to sit down like really read a book of poems really quickly, it's just going to be <laughs> it is just going to be you know there's no point. So I I think I mean I think that's why short stories ultimately have never been commercially as much a prospect. I, I think. As much as people, publishers and, 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 and magazines and journals try and sell them as like, well, you know, you can read it on your way to work on your Kindle or on your smartphone. You can read a short story or whatever, um, you know, uh, you know, on your on your commute. It's, it just doesn't reward it in the same way short, a, a novel does. You, you can't dip in and out like that. You know, you can't. It needs it needs your full attention. So it is more demanding. That, that said, um, short stories are kind of becoming to an extent like the rock stars of the publishing world. Uh, short story writers, you know, George Saunders, Juno Diaz, Laurie Moore. Uh, even Roxanne Gay just came out with a collection of short stories. Mm. Um, who do you like yeah. to read for short stories? Um, I like a lot of people. Um, I, I, well, Kevin Barry, I mentioned earlier, his his first collection, there, Little Kingdoms. That was like the that was like the because it was it, his stories are they're they're more surreal than mine, surreally tinged, but nonetheless they were set in a, they came out in like two thousand and seven, and it was set in a sort of more or less contemporary Ireland. And they were, and they had that, all that linguistic verve and punch that I love, um, and were, you know, blackly funny, strange, and they just were full of energy. Like they, they, they just blew me away. Um, so they were definitely like a, a defining, defining a key text for me. Um, and I've always loved lots of the Southern American writers like Flannery O'Connor, uh, mm. Bar Barry Hanna. There's some good stuff there. And um, I mean, I, yeah, I read, I read a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of. A collection I read recently that's really great, but um, my mind always goes blanks on these questions. But I know I, re I read a lot of American, like I read I read tons of American short fiction and stuff. So is it? I'm I'm, I'm up to date. What What was it like uh, publishing your book in Ireland and then having it come out a year later in the UK and then a year later in the US? And I'm yeah. sure there are other outlets that I don't even know about. Yeah, it's it's come out in a few places abroad and stuff as well. So um, Holland and Germany and France and a few of Spain, um, like the staggered releases specifically though. Poland, um, it's 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 fine, really. It's fine. It's good, you know. Um, I, I I don't mind that there's a bit of space between it all. I think it'd be really crazy if you were trying to launch it in, in Dublin and then like trying to get to London the following weekend and then to New York the weekend after or something. Um, you know, when it when it's spaced out, you can kind of 
you can recover from each uh, each bout of uh, of being in the spotlight or whatever uh, such as it is and um um and come back to it but i mean again it kind of again like the lifespan is such that you're like after a while you're like uh yeah no i need to write another book <laughs> i need to write another book <laughs> i can't i can't keep dining out in this guy uh even though it's only you know it's only because publishers like it and they they, they want to put it out and you know people will, will read it and are kind enough to show up to your launch or whatever so you, you can't be in any one ungracious about it but um you know it, it does start a, it does start it does start kicking in after a while again that, that feeling of fraudulence if you don't uh, if you don't put something else out you know what's it like to sit down at your desk and try and pick up the next thread how does that go for you very messily um there's just so much amorphous like like it's impossible to overstate to people who who aren't writing just how like um like how much you just have to embrace like waste like wasting your time like doing bad <laughs> writing uh spending a lot of time with your sort of attention partially elsewhere and then sort of trying to regather it you know um like people like you know friends of mine who don't write or you know who aren't writers and aren't trying to write or whatever like well i could never sit down and write they'll read a story and it's this pot you know it's a relatively polished coherent thing and you know but you you, you don't want to admit just how how much effort went into getting it like that um so it's always very diffuse what tends to help me is if i'm working on several things at once that seems to that seems to be the best way for me to work um, if if uh, you know I I'll zero in then periodically and focus on like finishing once like once I get over the halfway mark with a story or whatever I'll, I'll zero in on it for a few weeks and just work away exclusively at that but um, I I find that I if I have to, if I have three or four like sort of works in progress at any one time that's sort of the best best place to be because you can mm. just yeah you know three of them and any one day will absolutely appall you and sicken you and you can't look at them so you just go to the fourth and hope it's you know you can tolerate looking at it for a little while <laughs> one of the things I've also heard you mention before uh, you've talked about how important your unconscious is to yeah. you particularly in the way that you work uh, it seems like that might I'm interested to hear how that works uh, for you in relation to being able to sort of widen out and work on multiple things and then being mm -hmm. able to take that same unconscious focus and zero in on one specific yeah. work um, well it's just something I've, I've kind of realized in the last year um, or so um, that like you just you do just have to like the most the reason like even writers spend a lot of their time not writing like the last thing anyone wants to do is write it's so it's so unnatural in a way you know to sit down and write like it's just such an alien you know i think it's just such a it's it's like trying to sit at the bottom of a swimming pool for hours on end you know um it's mm -hmm. just it's just i think it is like it's not a, it's an unnatural state in many ways for everybody i think and uh maybe just me but you know but i love it and that's all oh, i want to okay. do but it is like nobody likes writing anything you know um you know uh, really um i i so, just had to write a friend's cover letter you know it's it's yeah that's why it's a job <laughs> Yeah. yeah and you just like you, anything like that like just it's 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 just awful and um 
so what you try and do then is you try you try and like you try and you try and um you try and assert conscious control over you try you set your and look this works for some people some people you know can work on giving themselves deadlines and they you know they have daily word counts and all that stuff and they've set times that they're definitely going to write in and, and uh, etc um, but I, but none of that works for me. Any kind of structure is just 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 stops me dead in my tracks. Um, so I just kind of and it, it's been it's been sort of I've I've had to adapt in, in the last year. We've had a baby, um, sort of a ten month old girl. And um, congratulations. Th- thank you. Um, and she's fantastic, and it's it's been great. Um, but obviously, just having having a baby around is it just means a lot less time. In the day, potentially to write, uh, but I've actually I've been writing more since since she's come along, um, and I, I I just I just had to give up. Like I just I just I just I I've just had to give up. I've had to completely submit to my unconscious because I I don't have time to sit around thinking about the work anymore. Like I get maybe I'll get like three maybe three or four hours scattered over the 16 or so I'm awake every day, mm-hmm. uh, in which to work, and they won't be consecutive. They'll be like an hour. An hour and a half, and then three or four hours later, another hour. I'm 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 at home with her at the moment, minding her, and um and then a couple hours in the evening or whatever. And um, so I've I've no time to consciously think about any any of the work. Um, you know I'm I, she you know my my the, my the entire front part of my brain and consciousness is taken up with basically keeping her warm and dry and and fed and and all those things. You know, um, uh, all you know all, more or less all day long and um. But it's but it's been good. I've I've as I said I've just I've given up any kind of trying to put any kind of control on the writing. And when I sit down, you know, stuff just comes and it could all be crap and it could all and it could stop at any moment. Don't get me wrong. Um, but but over the last over the last year, the gust of the last year, all the writing I've been doing has been in these concentrated bursts. And maybe that's just the, what suits me, what works for me. You know, um, I, I I'm a great believer. I'm a great trust in the idea that if if like you have an idea. And whether it's one thing you're working on or it is several things, you keep them in your mind. You know, they're 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 down there. You know, in 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 the in the in the cellar, being worked mm. on in the dark, and um, that's where you should leave them and just keep your the your, your the front part of your brain away from them. You know, that's the consciousness. You know, just. Uh, well, I don't know what David Foster Wallach called the cruel master or something like that. Sort of the, the, your consciousness, you know, the the, the the egotistical part of you policing your your head. And um, so yeah, yeah, I try I try and keep the writing as as far away from all that as I can, and it, it seems to be beneficial at the so moment. When you're writing, when you're actually writing, how do you how do you maintain that line? Like when what happens if you start yourself if you start to feel yourself drifting back towards conscious control where like do you recognize yeah. it does it come on uh, well i mean you know there like there, of course there's you need conscious control for like when you're editing and stuff you know so mm-hmm. um like i do most i mean again most of my writing is is i'll write some new stuff but but almost every day i'll start by like re by editing you know what was there from the day before or whatever um mm-hmm. uh, so you know it's it's just i mean it's really hard you know because even by what I've just been rambling on about, I'm given the impression that there's, you know, some sort of overarching structure or, or rationale behind what I'm doing. <laughs> but it really is like it's just, I don't. Know, you you do go into a kind of I do go, you do go into like a some sort of um, state. You know, I do I do go off into my own into my own head and um, 
you know I'm I'm able to do it. I can't. Um, there's there's a, a, a an Irish writer Mike McCormick got a book out last year um, called Solar Bones, um, by a, put out by a small press in Ireland. Another one called Tramp Press. You do great work. Um, and um, it's a it's kind of a well it's it's not. I mean it's an experimental novel. It's it's like, it's 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 one sentence. It's just one sentence. <laughs> like it's 250 pages. It's one sentence. It's like on the road. Yeah, which which Kerouac did it first. Kerouac did it first, and um, it's not. But but it's actually it's actually like it's not in any way like a, a punitive chore to read it. Like it's really accessible and beautifully mm. written, and um, it, it makes thematic sense as to why it's that when you read it. But anyway, he Mike was writing that he's he's sort of um, he's had a he's he's put out his his first book was published in the nineties, I think. So he's been around he's been around the blocks, you know, and. Um, he is a he is a kind of experimental Irish writer. He's very he's he's, he's a big fan of um like J. G. Ballard and um sort of seventies sixties and seventies sort of sci-fi where the sort of avant-garde and science fiction genre sort of stuff overlapped. Um, and he kind of puts he said he he, he transplants that stuff to Mayo <laughs> in the west of Ireland. Uh, you know, so there's like farmers and there's like weird government experiments been done on people in induced comas <laughs> all happening in the one universe of um, and so solar bones is a magnificent book but he spent five years writing it and he said uh, <laughs> someone asked him in an interview about his his process and what it was like to write not the difficulties of writing this one sentence long, long novel and he just said i can't remember any of it <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so i can't remember any of it he says it just, it just it was there at the end of the five years you know uh, that, like that's just the truest like that resonates with me in a way like that's just the truest the truest thing of all you can kind of come up with an after the fact sort of rationale you know because you don't want to disappoint yeah. people by telling them like I, so much of what writers talk about is um, when people ask them ask them about the process, you know, you can, you just like you feel like you don't want to disappoint them by just saying I don't know or you know, <laughs> everything no, is a variation on that. But you know, it's perfectly reasonable. I'm just it, it's it's fresh for me having sat down last night and tried to write and trying to take. I was particularly trying to take your your advice about letting. Or not mm-hmm. your advice, your process about letting your unconscious do the work, mm-hmm. and I can't turn it off. And I just <laughs> like I want to know what that moment looks like. Yeah. Um, well, for as, other as people, because you I, feel it, right? Yeah. I mean, as I said, I kind of just you, you trick yourself into it almost, or you know, I mean, as I said, with my uh, uh, with my daughter, with my daughter, I don't have a chance. I don't have a choice. You know, I have to. I have to just mm-hmm. keep the entire front part of my my brain preoccupied with with her and. Um, that that's when it's that's when that's when my unconscious is doing its work um you know so then when i when i go to the the page it's it's you know it's kind of it's there uh, but not not always of course look and and you know some of it's just going to be rubbish that, that comes out but that's necessary as well i mean it's just it's totally like anyone like i mean i do meet quite a lot of obviously you know aspiring writers and stuff and i've done workshops mm-hmm. with people and people are writing and it is like it is just trying to get them to just sort of take you have to train yourself out of that control that crit, that critical part of your brain that won't let you write bad stuff on the page you know like that that voice telling you it's rubbish after you've written two sentences you have to be able to turn that off <laughs> and that's the hardest thing it's i you know it totally is the hardest thing to do you know um 
and you do have to you have to train yourself into it like you know it's 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 one thing it's i i do always use the analogy of like it's like you you wouldn't just tomorrow like you wouldn't just go out and try and run a marathon you know you would you would right. you would have to train yourself up to it and 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 writing is is you know it only resembles that in one way uh, uh, extreme physical exercise in that in that <laughs> you just it just it, it works best i, I find in, in bursts and a lot of it is is preparation a lot of it's Another Irish writer, a uh, mate of mine, Rob Doyle, um, you know, has always sort of said, very, very uh, uh, blithely maintained. He's like, you know, an integral part of being a writer or trying to write is is that you spend a good bit of time not writing. He's like, you know, it's just, you know, because he says, because even when you're not writing, you are writing. And there's a certain party that is, you know, it's it's when the work's getting done in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, again, I, I didn't I didn't really know what he, I didn't quite get what he meant. When he when he kind of said it to me, you know, a couple of years ago, but but I kind of do now, you know, I do now. Um, so it's yeah, it's just trying to turn off the censor, turn off the critic, turn off, you know, what you think other people are going to think of it, and uh, and but but it's hard, and you you got to practice at it. I mean, I, I I would tell people, and I've told people who are trying to trying to spend a few years kicking around some novel or something, and they can't can't finish it or they're struggling with it, and I'm like, don't don't try and like you know there's people who are like oh i've saved up money i'm going to go like on a two-week writing retreat or something that like costs a thousand you know <laughs> euros in yeah, down in curry or somewhere and you, you go to a nice farm and they put you up and I, i'm just that's that like that's just that that's just the idea of hell for me you know this like you gotta go you gotta sequester yourself for two weeks and in, in in the woods and there's no wife like there's no wi-fi like it's it's sort of you have to become this sort of monk and just sort of um churn out words like that's just that's just a cage you know it's just a, a, another form of it's just another it's an elaborate form of chastisement i think rather than actually writing so um i just say like just even at night when you're kind of half tired that that's fine just sit down for 10 minutes and just write whatever the hell comes into your head you know there will be something there just, well, so just do it, 10 minutes a day so it's funny because kyle and i started this podcast because both of us wanted to write a lot more and 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 we really didn't. We were having a lot of trouble. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a number of reasons. At the time, like, the reason we called it Writers Who Don't Write is because at the time, uh, you know, we didn't want, like, to write something that, like, we would, the people we cared about would read and say, like, oh, you really think that about me or something? Um, <laughs> you know, that was one reason for it. But now, like, looking back, I realize that uh, it's probably, like, a, a larger part because we were just lazy and didn't want to put in the work. Um you know, and, and I don't want to speak for Kyle, but like certainly that's that's on my end of it. Uh, but you said something recently because I've been publishing a little bit more recently, uh, and and you said something in one of your interviews in the past. And, and this is not a direct quote, but in the past you've mentioned that awards are great not for the money, but because they allow you the ability to recognize the quality of your work. And you know, you've hit on this before. Like you needed to publish that first story to show that you weren't going crazy. Um, and I feel like I am in the same boat there. I'd never heard that applied to awards before, but I get it. Like it's it's the recognition side of it, not necessarily the fact that like it shows that, like uh, with awards specifically, it's because it shows that you're, you know, you're better than your peers, at least in that regard, um, for that one story or something. But can you speak on that a little? Um, God, did I say that about awards? They gave me validation. Uh, maybe I did. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you, they're always fantastic. They're fantastic. They're, they're fantastic to get. Sorry, I sound odious here. It's all. It's always fantastic to get awards. <laughs> um, um, 
I know, look, it always is, and like that was fucking. They went mad for young skins, but um, it's. I mean, yeah, it, it, it look, it undoubtedly helps you feel feel like it's just immensely. You're so relieved that the work is that that it hasn't just slipped between the cracks, basically. You know, um, like that's that's your thing, and that people have sat down and read it, but. I mean, awards, are, I, I know anywhere, are always kind of weird things as to what gets shortlisted and stuff. It's always, you know, the, the particular makeup of whoever the judges are can be often very, you know, um, it's so subjective. Um, but I mean, I, I guess with I guess with Young Skins, I mean, the awards were vital because, like, it was a collection of short stories, you know, and it was originally published by, by a, an independent Irish publisher, you know, so there really was, it had no right to get any kind of attention you know, in, in a wider sense. So the only way, the only shot it had really at that level of visibility was awards, you know, as as impractical as that is as a as a publishing strategy going forward. But uh, um, it, it felt great, um, but it doesn't solve the problem of you having to write the next thing by any means either, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only, you know, I, I had the same thing after I, after I, after I wrote Young Skins because it was... Like because it came out with a smaller publisher and 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 Declan, who was my editor, like worked like it was such it was such a great publishing experience because he worked me over over a number of years. You know, he was reading. I I was sending him on average two or three stories every year. You know, and he was give he was giving me feedback on each one. You know, and you you won't you at bigger publishers just because the guy you know your editor has a big list and he's got so much work to do. You don't get that kind of you know long form and patient attention uh, necessarily. Um, and um sorry i've lost my train of thought here now no it's fine and i i think you you actually did a great job answering there's also something to be said for the fact you know validation from an external source however potentially odious or uh self horn blowing it sounds you know having something like that to back up uh what starts out as almost a delusion of declaring yeah. yourself a writer and, t- and you know trying to tackle such a great outset of effort, I'm sure that yeah, like, it's, it's got to feel good, right? Yeah, I mean, because it just it just is like such a s- strange profession in that there's you know there isn't really you know the, like no no one gives you permission to be a writer, like no one can give you permission. You can ask your <laughs> you can ask like your your loved one or whatever. Do you mind if I quit my job and write or whatever? And they might be you know they might be generous enough to say yes but like that's still not the permission like you know and and you know um experiences with ed- editors and publishers and stuff and agents you know it's it's so up and down you know um two different editors will read the same story and one one will think it's brilliant the other think it's unpublishable so there's there's, there's it's it's a, it's precarious at every level and it's so hard i think to get to a place where you can kind of comfortably say you are a writer uh for better or for worse um your your only real boss is the reader well this is it and i mean you know it's always you know yeah meeting someone like who you don't know who's read your work like who actually just like you know is a stranger is always a is always is always strange you know i mean it's good it's they're, well, they're generally quite um nice to you so um you know it, it's it's good in that sense um it's always fascinating. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's always great too. Um, yeah. I think we're at the point now where we generally try to pivot, um, sure. as 
awkwardly or smoothly as we tend to make it in the thread of the conversation. But this is the part where we get to talk about one of the stories or threads that you've struggled to tell in your time as a writer. And I was hoping you might talk to us a little bit about uh, something that you mentioned in the email preceding the show about dealing with the story from Young Young Skin's column with horses. Yeah. And how that relates to longer works. Uh, yeah, so I mean, Come with Horses is a novella. Um, it's the longest sort of story in the in the collection. It, it tops out at like twenty twenty three thousand words or something. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't the last story I, I wrote in it, but it was sort of I did have an idea of like I wanted to do a longer story um, to to put in there, um, but I didn't know that that was it necessarily when when, when I when I started it and. Um, it was, it was, I mean, it probably took me over a year on and off. I mean, I wasn't working on just it, but it, it took probably over a year to write. Um, and it definitely was the one that, like, I got the most pushback from, like, excuse me, from, from my editor, Declan. Um, and I was showing it to my agent as well at the time because she's a very good and considerate reader. Uh, and both of them each time, like, I saw the first kind of version I did of it was probably was, like, the first quarter of the story, first 15, 10 or 15 pages of it. Um, so the main character, uh, Arm Armstrong, as he's called, his nickname is Arm, and he's a uh, he's the uh, sort of the heavy, the heavy for a local drug dealer in in the town of Glenbeg, and um, the first ten or fifteen pages is kind of like just a kind of a vignette of his, a day in his life, you know, essentially, he, he like beats a guy up who owes money, and uh, or who's committed a, a transgression against a family member of the of of, of Dimna, his uh, arms boss um and i mean I, th- I thought the first 10 or 15 pages were fine i thought they were good you know as they were and uh, they concluded with like the the two lads sort of parting at the end of the day and um i sent it to to declan and again he's very he's very straightforward he gives you very he gives you generally gives you quite firm comments um sometimes they can be very open-ended but he, he kind of just said yeah um well this definitely isn't finished <laughs> um <laughs> you know uh, and he'd never been that definitive before about like the other act the other stories that were short stories um you know he might say the ending isn't working and you know you know you need to remix a few of the elements or something like that but this was like he said it just stops rather than ends or something to that effect which i guess isn't good um so it, you know, it definitely did take. It was at that point I kind of realized that it was because it was like five or six thousand words at that point. But then I thought, well, uh, you know, if I if I if I go in now and and I've I've set up this sort of small town drug dealing operation and I've got Armin there and his relationship with Dimpton and his family members. So I was like, oh, if if I if I you know keep going with this, I gotta I gotta honor all that stuff that's in there. You know, I gotta give it some sort of justice. Um, and so I so I kind of knew it would it, it would go on. And, and be quite long, um, and that definitely set a different set of challenges. Um, I think it's a somewhat divisive story. I think some people like really like it, <laughs> it's, and some I, people I, think I, don't. I was just about to ask you about that because you know I thought the story is brilliant, but I was also a little annoyed that you snuck a ninety-page story into the middle of this collection of short stories. Yeah. Uh, so. I, I, th- that was also, for better or worse, <laughs> that was an idea I had as well that we don't put the big long one at the end. 
because <laughs> I was afraid then that like reviewers and stuff would only read the long one at the end. They were like, okay, well the the the, the initial short ones are just fucking preambles. Let's get to the let's get to the the main <laughs> ones. So I kind of thought like. If we put it in the, and I wasn't trying to be sadistic to the reader or anything, that didn't occur to me. But I just thought if we put it in the like like in the middle essentially, or you know not at the end, it won't be such a big deal. Like my thinking was, people would just take it as one one more story. I'll be you know one of unwieldy length. But um, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. But the the yeah. way that I read my short stories is always just you know like one story a day. And then yeah. when I got to that, it was like uh, a never-ending story. Re- regimented, regimented. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, that, maybe that's why some people didn't like it. Some people didn't like it for other elements. Um, it was kind of interesting, though, doing a longer thing, because I, I kind of need, like, you just, like, you need a... Well, a longer thing, I mean, you, you need, the, you need like, this a solid spine. You know, you need a plot, uh, and you need to follow threads through. In a way, with shorter stories you can kind of you know you, you can it's not you know it's not either or it's it's not to do do one or the other down but again as i said before short stories are more like poems almost like um what's very important is the language and the imagery and stuff like that more so than what necessarily than what happens um but this longer thing it needed it needed a solid spine and so it took on you know it took i mean it ends it ended on and it ended inevitably taking on sort of thrillerish elements and sort of you know crime elements and stuff moorish elements uh, which i wasn't afraid to give a go at i just hoped they wouldn't totally be preposterous you know um i actually thought you did really great it had uh, a little elmore you. leonard little elmore leonard feel to it and like that elmore leonard uh, you know i've read a bit of george v higgins did uh, the guy did jackie brown um mm-hmm. uh, I, i'm a big fan of richard price uh, the uh, clockers and lush life and he wrote for the or for the wire as well a bit I think and um, so I mean I just yeah but it was definitely like as I said I kind of I ended up going back to Declan like two or three times and each time convinced this was the end of the fucking thing and each time he was like no and and he kind of but but one thing I kind of again it was a useful a useful thing I got out of out of it was that um, each time I, I you know thought I'd hit my the end and he you know, came back to me and said, no, keep going. Um, I was always able to find, like, I was always able to pull out of what I'd already written down. There was always, there was always some thread or something, something there that, you know, when I would go back and reread it, like, from the very early sections and stuff, like, it was almost like all the other things were there. They were kind of encrypted within it. Like, there was little clues as to where I needed to go. And, for instance, the the, the climax arm goes out to this uh, house owned by a, a woman, the, the widow, as she's called, who's who's affiliated uh, with with one of his one of his nemeses uh, well his two nemeses the, the the uncles of Dimna um and uh, she she so the final sort of scene she becomes a very important character and it's, it's sort of all all trans, or the climax transpires out at her house and um i just i like i'd only i'd put in a very fleeting remark about her like early on in the first third somewhere like there's just there's just this vague sort of tossed off reference to her and and it wasn't until you know Declan come back to me three times or whatever, um, saying it needs to go somewhere else. And I kind of was I was you know went back and reread it and reread it and sort of just 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 you know the widow just stuck out. She was there, and and, and at the time when I put her in initially, there was she was purely there as a reference, just a bit of you know add a bit of nuance and backstory to for for uh, for one of the characters. But sort of that that was that was it then. She again my unconscious had been like 
you know, do like preparing her, <laughs> you know, down in the cellar. She was being assembled. Um, it was a creepy, creepy metaphor here. Um, <laughs> um, you know, uh, down in the cellar. Yeah, she was being being assembled. Um, and uh, and so she was kind of, you know, kind of not not quite fu- fully formed. There was still a lot of, you know, work work around giving it shape. But she was nonetheless. They're, they're kind of waiting for me by the time I was I was ready for it so but it took it took a lot of external pressure and I can see why with with novels and stuff and that's what I'm working on now like the, your editor is is gonna you know is a good editor is, is gonna really help you shape things and put structure on stuff and so what, what, what's the novel that you're working on now um it's it's uh, it's I don't a, know how much of it you can talk about yeah. Ah oh, well, it's 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 coming along. No, it's it's going well uh, at the moment, writing it anyway. And um, it's sort of um, well, I'll say, well, I'll basically say it's just it's set it's set again in Mayo, uh, it, where I'm from, the west of Ireland. But I'm using all the real names now. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I'm 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 I, I can't talk too much about it, but um, hopefully it'll be okay again i'm not another thing i'm just like i'm not worried about like going back i i think there was a bit of trepidation i was like oh could, should i should i say you know can i write more about like you know the west of ireland or that particular sensibility that i was tapping into with with young skins and you know but i, I think that was you know i think that only mirrors my initial reluctance to write about my own sort of autobiographical elements you know that that obviously inform young skins it is fiction and the town's fictional but nonetheless it was informed by where i grew up and sort of the small town i was from and the sensibility uh, you know that pervaded uh, my peers there when i was growing up and stuff and you know again we kind of we haven't really talked about it but i think when you're trying to write you you, you mentioned it earlier you were talking about like what will my parents think or what will my friends think if I start writing and, and for years I avoided writing about the west of Ireland where I'm from uh, until I got to Young Skin so so now I'm kind of that same doubt I think it manifested itself as a, well you don't want to repeat yourself and like well what am I going to write about like fucking you know I've only been in Toronto 12 weeks so can't, can't uh, <laughs> I can't just write about like the you know the half mile radius <laughs> I've been outside my house so um, it's, it's set in the west again and it's um, uh yeah, no, it's it's coming along, and it, it'll get there in the end. And I'm I'm I've I've written a, a good few, I've written several short stories as well. So I could have another. I'll see about a collection, but I mean, I'm I'm, I'm still happily working on them. So. Well, that's that's great. I can't wait to read it. Uh, you'll have to come back on the show and talk to us about it. I definitely will. Yeah. Listen, thanks for having me, and I hope I haven't been too. Um, waffly, basically. No, no, but, this was um, this was actually. Uh, it was oh, it's been fantastic. It's been great. This was a production of Writers Who Don't Write. That was Colin Barrett, author of Young Skins, for episode 32 of Writers Who Don't Write. You can find us online at www.podcast.com. We have uh, a Twitter handle at www.podcast. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram account. We have a newsletter at tinyletter.com slash www.podcast. We're trying out something new for anybody who listened all the way to the end. So we're trying something new this week. Uh, we want you to tweet at us. Tweet at us about this episode. Mention it specifically in your tweet. And we may or may not send you a copy of Young Skins, Colin's book. We have one copy to give away. Uh, we're doing a Twitter giveaway. U.S. only. Uh, <laughs> in the continental U.S. We can't pay international shipping charges, much as we would like to. So the music that you heard at the top and the bottom of the hour is from Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library. 
He's a great guest of the show. Maybe one day we'll have him on. Uh, you can find him on SoundCloud or at his website, hollandpattonpubliclibrary.com. Uh, he's great. He has a new album coming out. You should definitely subscribe so that you are the first to know. The music that you heard in the middle of the show is from Ben Sound. It's a Creative Commons piece of music from bensound.com. Uh, and our guest today was Colin Barrett, who is a very talented Irish author, most recently of the book Young Skins, which you can pick up wherever books are sold. Join us in two weeks when we discuss The Knicks with Nathan Hill. Uh, if you want to read along, that's the book. It's The Knicks, Nathan Hill. It came out about a year ago. Uh, paperback comes out soon. It's great. You're going to really enjoy it. It's long, though, so start now. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>